Good. Um, we are continuing on in a series called Made for More. And uh, over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about this beautiful, wonderful reality that we are created in God's image, that we are made in His likeness, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that uh, it's a great and a powerful truth in our lives that we hear early on, probably in Sunday school or when we first read the Bible, this reality, this hope that uh, we aren't just flawed and broken, but rather we were created for something great, something wonderful, and that God helps us to understand that and realize that and live out that through the work of His love and His Holy Spirit in our lives. And uh, I just want to ask you a quick question. I mean, when you, when you were getting dressed this morning, did you look in the mirror and say to yourself, I'm created in God's image, right? Uh, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and then also that wonderful truth that God made me good, right? I think that's something that we should reflect on and think about from time to time, that God made us good. And the, maybe it's even better news, you know, the people around you this morning, God made good. Isn't that neat to think about? That difficult child in your life, your spouse, your boss, God made him good. It's, a, it's such a powerful thing to think about. But we don't always uh, live out that. We don't always live into it sometimes. Our doubts, our fears, our worries, our skepticism gets the best of us. I love that video today, thinking about that most of us here today probably have some kind of threshold we're thinking about crossing over. Maybe it's something that we have thought about for a long time, or maybe it's something even that we crossed at one point, and then we fell back, and now we're thinking about how do we get back where we once were. I, uh, I recently had one of those moments. I, uh, when we moved here, I decided that one of the things I wanted to do was to get in better shape, and so I found my, my gym, I found the time I was supposed to be there, and the first day that I decided to go over there, I got in my car, I drove over there, and it's a gym where you can see inside, and I looked in there, I said, those people are in shape. I am not. I am not going in there. And so, church, I drove off, and I went to the donut shop, and I bought kolaches. And it was probably like the second or third attempt that I actually got out of my car, crossed the threshold into there, and just started, you know. Um, and so you and I probably have stories like that, ones where we do succeed, or maybe there's some times where you just continue to drive off and head off to the donut shop, whatever that might be. Uh, but it is something that's so fascinating and so uh, important because we live in a world where God is continually calling us and inviting us and encouraging us and inspiring us to be exactly who he made us to be, and we're going to be continually facing those challenges. And what I've found are that, you know, one of the biggest reasons that people don't cross those thresholds is fear. Now, they're just afraid. They're worried about what might happen, or maybe they're fearful that whatever happened in their past is going to repeat itself, or they're... Uh, just kind of of that mindset that all their life they've been afraid and that's been a, a huge motivational force in their life. The great basketball player Michael Jordan uh, a couple years back had an interview in which he said, you know, what was it that inspired you or helped you to, to be better and better? And he said, you know, number one for him was actually just fear of failing. And so there are times when fear is very appropriate. There's times where it could be helpful, but when we read our word, when we read our scriptures, God continually speaks to us, and he says, that's, 
That's not what the foundation of your life needs to be. It's not what's supposed to guide and direct your thoughts. It's not what's supposed to be what helps you make decisions instead. It's just perfect fear is driven out by, by perfect love. When we're terribly afraid, what do we need the most? We need to have an idea that God loves us, that God cares for us, and that we're important to him. Now, uh, I want to share with you a scripture. I know that over the past couple of weeks, we've been reading out of Exodus, uh, and we're going to jump Leviticus, even though there's just a ton of great sermons in Leviticus. Uh, and we're going to go all the way into Numbers. And um, there are some great, great stories in the book of Numbers. There's some boring things as well, but there's some really good things in here. And we're going to be in the 14th chapter of Numbers. And just to set the stage for you, uh, how this works is that you are probably familiar with the story of the Exodus. God delivers his people up out of Egypt. And he, this is about two years after that. And they've traveled uh, from Egypt almost to the Holy Land, to the Promised Land. And it's a journey of about 250 miles. And they've gone about 240 of that. They're just 10 miles away from the land of milk and honey that God has promised them. They're so close. They're so near to where God wants them to be uh, that they do what most of us as Methodists would do. They form a feasibility study, right? And they decide to anoint, you know, nominate a group of people that are going to go out and be spies. And they, so they send out a representative from each tribe. And um, they go into what is going to be their future homeland, but they don't, they're not sure of it yet. And the spies see what's going on, and they recognize that there are some pretty mighty forces, some pretty mighty armies, and they come back with some representation of what people can expect when they get to the promised land. They come back with a big thing of grapes, some pomegranates, and some figs. And this is really exciting to the people because they like fresh produce. I don't know. It's really exciting. And, but however, there's an opposing report that comes out. Uh, they say, you know, it's going to be good. It's going to be great. And yet there are people that are not so sure of that. And at the end of chapter 13, we'll pick up there. They've gotten the fruit. They're excited about it. And yet here's what happens. It says, all the people saw, uh, saw in it are huge men. We saw that the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. These are giants. These are big people. And um, the spy says, we, we saw ourselves as, as grasshoppers. They're tiny. And that's how we appear to them. I mean, have you ever convinced yourself of who you are to the point where you convince others? Right? And this is exactly what's happening. He says, we see ourselves as grasshoppers, and that's how we appear to them. And then fear begins to spread throughout the community because of the, the, the concerns. He says, the entire community raised their voice, and the people wept that night. I mean, they're that afraid that they're in tears. All the Israelites criticized Moses and Aaron, um, and the, the entire community said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this desert. I don't think that's a really a good reading of it. Let me try that again. It says, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this desert. Is that better? I'm good with drama. All right. It says, why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken by force. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to each other, let's pick a leader and let's go back to Egypt. You know, and, 
And what's the result of them becoming afraid and fearful? They're just 10 miles away from where God wants them to be, and they're beginning to form the Back to Egypt Committee, right? And they're, they're picking leaders for that. They've got a theme, right? They've got a slogan, probably a PowerPoint presentation, right? And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembled Israelite community. But Joshua, Nun's son, and Caleb, Jephunneh's son, from those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we cross through to explore is an exceptionally good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll bring us into this land and give it to us. It's a land that's full of milk and honey and unlimited data. Only don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are our prey. Their defense has deserted them, but the Lord is with us, so don't be afraid of them. So what you see happening in this passage is that even though these people have a long history. I mean, it's been two years since God delivered them out of Egypt. I mean, they've got a long history with God, a good history with God. I do want to point out two years. Sometimes these things take a minute. It says that, that over two years, they, they've seen amazing things. God has sent plagues to free them. God has provided them bread in the desert. They crossed the sea, a Red Sea on dry land. Uh, they were able to avoid poisonous snakes. Uh, over and over again, God has proven who God is. God has been fulfilling his promise to Abraham. God has been doing exactly what God has told him he would do. Uh, even, because, even though all of that is happening, they still get to a place where they're ready to quit and to give up, to not cross the threshold, instead to stay or to head back in the direction from which they came. And it's, it's so amazing to see that at work, not only in this particular scripture, but you and I have probably known people or known organizations where they were so close, they, they were just almost there. And they, and they quit, or they give up, or they get frustrated, or they, they just you know, throw a fit and, and run away. Whatever the case might be, they give up. And they turn around just a few miles short of where God wants them to be. And when we look at this, you know, it's easy to understand. It's so easy to say, why, why, do they, why did they act like this? Why did they behave like this? Well, they were slaves. What's the best way to control slaves? In theory, I know none of y'all are experts. In theory, is with fear. Right? I mean, bad managers or bad parents, what do they try and do to control people beneath them? Make them afraid. Make them fearful. Treat them like they're worthless. Treat them like they're scum. Act like they are not able to do anything on their own. And this is exactly where they, where they find themselves again. They're like, maybe God really didn't mean what he said. Maybe God wasn't really being honest about where we were headed. And instead of embracing the promises, instead of believing where God was leading them, they're ready to head back to where they came from. The opposite of that is what you see happen with Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, they look out on this promised land, on where God is leading them, and they say, you know what, those people may be giants, maybe there's armies, maybe there's difficulty, but it would so be worth it, and God can bring us there. 
I mean, the mind-blowing thought about all this is they talk about a group of people called the Amicalites, and they say they're there, and there's no way we could beat them, even though they've already won a victory against these people. And they're saying to themselves, yeah, but, but is God going to do that again? Absolutely. And so it really comes down to when we're on the threshold, when we're facing a difficult choice or a difficult moment of our lives, when we're in a place of struggle, the question that arises in our hearts and our lives is, are we going to trust in what God is going to lead us to next? Are we going to be faithful and believe in His love and His grace? Or are we just going to look at that threshold and say, I, I can't go any farther? How are we going to see it? How are we going to look at that? Fear would have us to look at it as an insurmountable obstacle, as a mountain we can't climb, as a giant that we can't defeat, as a situation that we can't overcome. Fear would tell us over and over again that you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not able, there's no way you're possibly going to achieve this. Or fear would say, be realistic, just stick with what's working for you, what's safe for you, just be all right with being mediocre or saying that it's okay to fall short of our human potential. You know, fear would tell you that all over again. But God, time and time again, says, do not be afraid. Do you know how many times God says that in the Bible? A lot. A lot. And he encourages us to see the world the way that he does. How did God make the world? Good. Now, Jesus was the master of this. You remember when Jesus takes the stage in the book of Mark and he says, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look and see the world in a whole new way. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe. And he's saying more than just returning away from our sins. He's saying, see the world in a brand new way. And he does this over and over again. He turns water into wine. He, he does miracles. He takes people who are sick and unhealthy and, and restores their lives. You know, over and over again, he looks at people and he says, these people aren't flawed, these people aren't broken, these people are potential disciples, these people are world changers. He, he looks at people and he, in, a, in a way that is just unimaginable to most of us. One of the most beautiful stories we find in the book of John is when Jesus approaches the woman at the well. Everybody else in the whole town sees her as somebody that has made a mess of her life, that has had failed marriages, and Jesus looks at her and says, I think she'd be a great evangelist. And what happens once she recognizes and sees who Jesus is? She goes back to her town and says, you've got to come meet this guy. And over and over again, when we look at what Christ is able to do, we, we see the exact same thing. If we'll just see people in the same way to look at them as children of God and to know that they are people that are there to help us and support us and encourage us along the way, it changes everything. So how do you see that obstacle in front of you, that struggle that you're facing? How are you looking at it? Are you, are you hearing the words of fear? Are you letting God speak to that situation and remind you of who he is and what he can do? And it's so, so important. So important. I, uh, I've run across some wonderful people in my time in ministry, uh, whether it is like the, the Kairos ministry that says, well, you may see these people as inmates, but we see them as disciples. 
Or it may be somebody that's working in student ministry that says, you may see a group of uh, teenagers, I see a group of people who are one day going to be in mission and ministry and that right now are having a huge impact in the world around them. Uh, I've encountered all those people. Probably one of the funniest stories I can remember about this is I had, some, had a missionary couple that I got to do some work with. And um, we were on a mission trip, and I woke up early, or at least what I thought was early, and I came into the living room. And the couple was in the living room sitting in chairs, and I said, what are y'all up to? They said, we're praying. And I said, well, I'll join in. What are y'all praying for? I said, we're praying for a whole bunch of problems to happen today. And I was like, whoa, wait, wait, wait. This is not what we do, all right? We're supposed to be praying for sunshine and rainbows and unicorns, right? And they're like, no. We usually pray for problems. I said, why? He said, they said, well, because when we go into the slums, when we're mission, uh, doing mission work and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, we love it when somebody comes up to us with a problem. I mean, wouldn't that be an amazing thing to do? To be able to look at each day and say, I hope problems come along because my God is far bigger than any problem I'm going to face. And what an amazing opportunity I would have to share the gospel with somebody that's struggling or hurting as well. And that time and time again, you know, when you find people that are willing to step across the threshold to say, I'm going to trust and see what God can do. I'm going to believe in what he's calling me to. It not only changes our hearts, but it, it changes the world around us. And um, worst case scenario, what happens if you do fail? I had a, a sweet couple in my last church who, uh, at the time of their retirement, they sold their house, uh, they cashed in their retirement, and they bought a small RV. And their whole goal was that they were going to take their RV and they were going to go out into uh, various uh, RV parks and they were going to witness for Christ, they were going to share the gospel, they were going to make a huge difference. And they said after about the second or third park, uh, they were really frustrated because nobody would talk to them. And they're great people, they're really sweet people. So, but nobody would talk to them, and, and when they did tell their story about being missionaries, that people would just turn off, or they wouldn't pay much attention, there was no fruit to be found, nothing good was happening, and so they, they came home, and they began to search and to ask uh, what it is that God would have them to do next. And at about that same point, even though uh, they had been unsuccessful in the mission field, uh, the particular lady that was in this, this couple, these two people, uh, she suffered a pretty bad injury, which was going to render her unable to walk. And you're thinking, not only did they fail in that way, but now they're facing this. And I went and visited with them and talked with them, and I was just blown away by their perspective. Because she said, you know what, we may not have had much success there, and this is a, a really horrible setback, but we still believe that God is going to do great things in our life. And I said, really? Because I'm skeptical sometimes, right? really? Things don't really be, seem to be pointing in that direction. And she said, no, uh, just today we had somebody in the room next to us that received Christ because she witnessed to them. And then my family called, and I got to share Christ with them as well. And she just went down the line, and she said, all of a sudden God was doing something amazing in her life, and where she was just about ready to quit and give up and throw everything up in the air, all of a sudden God took hold of her life and began to use her in a mighty in a powerful way. And I can tell you story after story after story of people that get there, that are just 10 miles away from the great things that God wants them to do. And maybe that's where you're there today. And this word today, I just hope it inspires you and encourages you. Don't join the Back to Egypt Committee. Look forward 
to what God is going to do next. Look forward to what God has promised you. It is amazing. It is wonderful. And it will happen. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill our hearts and our lives. Push away all of our fears, our doubts, our skepticism, our tendency to try and just be realistic or try and control our situations. You are far greater than anything that we could ever imagine and far more able to do things that we could never comprehend. And so we look for you to do that this day. Lord, I pray for those people who are here today that are on uh, a point, a threshold, where they're looking to see what their next steps might be. Maybe they're afraid, maybe they're uncertain. I just ask that you would lead and guide their steps. And whatever it is, Lord, we just pray and ask that you would help them to take that next step toward you, to the future that you have promised, for your glory, for your honor, and in all things, we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We would love to have you as a member of our church. Uh, you can do so by coming forward during this last song and visiting with me. Or you can come to the luncheon that's after the second service today. We'd love to see you there as well. Either way, we're glad that you came to worship with us. Won't you please?